I mean, I knew that Joe Caruso, he had so much passion for so many things in life. It wasn't always the right thing, but I knew if God ever could really get a hold of his heart, the amazing things that he could do for it. So meeting this beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed cheerleader, and I was a baseball player at Alabama, I was like, you know, she was uh, very attractive, and I wanted to be around her. Uh, so we started dating in college, and then once uh, I was drafted to the uh, professional baseball league, um, I left and was gone every summer. And when I was gone every summer, she would come back home to Memphis. So she was going to church. She was getting that foundation of Christ, and, and I wasn't. But when I got here, uh, I came because I really liked a, a, a beautiful woman and then her and you were hungry and I was hungry because her dad uh, said if we came to church that we would have uh, free Sunday lunch and I would come suffer through the service go to eat and be as happy as I could ever be but but after listening and and hearing what they were saying it was all the all the Jesus they had inside of them that Jesus transformed and changed them and I wanted to be changed because I didn't like who I was I was tired of being this arrogant, self-centered man. So as long as baseball was going good, as long as partying life was going good, then everything was going good with me. But the moment I realized that baseball was going to let me down and, and going out as much as you can go out was going to let you down, I was always left with nothing. And so I started, you know, trying drugs and, and did a more alcohol. And But I saw the peace and I saw the love that God had through her and coming to Central Church and I wanted what these people had. And I didn't know what it was. One day on a baseball field, away from her, um, I just knew I needed something more. And I accepted Jesus Christ on a baseball field in El Paso, Texas. And when I accepted Christ in another guy's arms, because he was a believer walking this walk with me, I'll never forget calling her. And the first thing I said was, hey, hon, I, I just accepted Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I was crying, and she started crying, and I'll never forget these words. And what did you say? It's like, well, we can get married. Central Church... Our church, just being able to have this foundation to be able to go to Sunday school class, developed relationships. I mean, to know that you have people that you can count on and know that you deal with the same struggles. To have transparency, to know that you're not perfect and still be able to experience what's going on in your marriage and have those, share those conversations with people and connect groups. It's, um, it's been pivotal for our marriage. And it's just such a blessing to know that you can come to a safe place, as you mentioned, that has so much transparency. We would rather reveal the things in our life that are bad in order to show how great God is through them. This is not a place where I'm going to try to come and be perfect. God has provided a, a peace that is only from God. Like God allows me to be able to take that deep breath and there's no worry. When all the things are going on in the world, he provides a peace that is just unimaginable. And that that's what God does for me. What God has done for me is he saved me by giving me the opportunity to accept him, to have my sins forgiven and my sins cleansed. And by accepting him and believing in him, it says, I shall be saved. And today I said before you saved because he saved me. He is risen. And you know, that's more than something we say at Easter. That is something we fully embrace. That is something that you just saw come through the testimony of Joe and Carly, that we believe in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that is something that 
really is, infuses our, our short text today. I've just got two verses for you, although we'll hop around a little bit. It'll be up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15. But I want you to think about Joe and Carly's testimony as we go through this. I want you to think about that phrase that sometimes just, just comes out too casually off our lips, He is risen, as you hear the words of God speak through the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 21. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the firstfruits of a great harvest of all who have died. Just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Christ has been raised from the dead. That is what we celebrate not just on Easter Sunday, but, but uh, as was prayed every day, every, every Sunday, but it, it certainly bubbles up from this text here. The reality is that Christianity is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. But it goes further than that. And that's really what I want you to come to understand today. The resurrection does more than just validate the Christian faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that you and I will one day be resurrected. And that's verse 21 there. Now the resurrection of the dead has begun. Because Jesus has been raised, now the resurrection of the dead has begun. The resurrection of the dead is, is, is really the Bible's phrase for the bodily resurrection of everyone who has died, and we'll unpack that more in just a moment. It has begun through another man, that is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has been raised, you will be raised. And really, that's my sole point this morning, that really if you walk away with nothing else, I want you to walk away with this. Because Jesus has been resurrected, you will be resurrected. You will one day die if the Lord doesn't return first. Your body will be buried or your body will be cremated. Ecclesiastes 12, the dust returns to the ground it came from and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. But that's not the end of your body. God is not done with your body at death. God will raise you, resurrect you from the dead. He will reanimate your body. He will reconstitute your body. He will rejoin your spirit to your soul or to your body for all of eternity. We will all be resurrected. Now, maybe this is new to you, or maybe, maybe this is something that you, you, you grapple with, and you're in good company in the minds of most people. This idea that that human beings will be resurrected from the dead as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that idea is, for many people, unbelievable, even absurd. An ABC News poll a short time ago said that 89% of Americans believe in heaven and believe that they'll be going there to heaven, but uh, apparently space won't be a problem because of those who believe they're going to heaven, 78% of them think that heaven is a place where people only exist spiritually, not physically. So the reality is that most people believe that when we die, even if we're going to heaven, we're done with our bodies. We, we shed our bodies, our bodies, we shuck them off, and heavenly existence, it's commonly thought, is only spiritual. What about you this morning as you come on this Easter Sunday? What do you think will happen to your body at death? 
If you believe you're going to heaven, what do you imagine that heavenly existence will be like? Do you believe that you'll be reunited with people that you love that have died and gone on before you? And if so, how will you recognize them if there's no body? How will they recognize you if you don't have a body? How will you embrace them? How will you be present with them if there is no resurrection of the body? Now, we're not the only culture that has struggled with this idea of bodily resurrection. It it really comes from, from the Greeks, and the Greeks had the idea that human bodies, they're corrupt, they are uh, irredeemable, that it is a good thing to shed them at death. There was a Greek poet who said it this way, the dust soaks up the blood of a man. Once he has died, there is no resurrection. They thought of life after death as, as really just a disembodied existence where you're freed from the chains of your corrupted body. And by the way, that's why the Apostle Paul, when he was preaching to the Greeks, when he was preaching in Athens in Acts 17, as he gets to the point in his sermon, we see this here, when they hear about Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, that we will be raised, they began to ridicule him. And his sermon kind of was over after that point. Why? They stumbled over this concept that because Jesus was resurrected, we will all one day be resurrected. Personally, the, this idea of, of our bodies being resurrected, this used to be an unbelievable idea for me. I, I spent a part of my childhood in a cult called the Christian Science Church. It's not Christian because they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the way to salvation, and it is certainly not science, and it's not even a church. It's a cult, but it was founded by a a woman by the name of Mary Baker Eddy, and Mary Baker Eddy said it this way, life is real, death is an illusion. She taught that death isn't real. She taught that what happens when somebody dies is that their spirit passes away to another realm of existence. That's that Greek idea. It's just that she said we can't perceive that from our our earthly state. And so she taught that we leave behind our bodies when we die, and we pass away to this other realm. So there's no resurrection of the body. That's what I got as a kid growing up. And that warped my thinking for years, thinking about life after death. You see, I wanted to believe in heaven as a place where I would see my dead loved ones again. I wanted to believe in heaven as a place where I would recognize them, and they would recognize me, and and we would be together and, and even be able to embrace. But how can you do that if you're just a disembodied spirit? Have you ever been to a funeral where they end the funeral, maybe at the grave site with this this beautiful picture of of helium balloons? I've seen some of these funerals. I've been to some of these funerals where at the grave site, everybody's given a helium balloon, and then after a prayer, all those helium balloons are released into the sky. Really, that's, that's a beautiful picture of a Christian being taken up into heaven. But let me ask you, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the body, Isn't that really like cutting the balloon open and letting the helium out and throwing away the balloon? That kind of destroys that image, doesn't it? But that's really what, 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 what we think if we don't believe in the resurrection of the body. Here's what I'm here to tell you this morning. I don't know if this is you've ever heard this or not before, but God has always revealed that not only was He going to resurrect Jesus Christ, 
but that He would one day resurrect every human being. Even all the way back in the oldest book of the Bible, Job writes, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job believed that even after he died, one day he would stand before God in his human body, in his flesh, and see God with his own human eyes. Jesus himself taught us this in John 5. A time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. He's talking there about the resurrection of our bodies. Now, here's what this means for you this morning. First of all, again, the fundamental truth of Christianity that the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Easter, it is an absolutely essential truth of Christianity. The Apostle Peter puts it this way, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's the first reality. There is no salvation. There is no Christianity. There is no point in what we are doing this morning apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Jesus' resurrection is not only essential to your salvation, it is also inseparably linked to your resurrection. And that's what Christ's apostles preached even as they established the early New Testament church. Acts 23, Paul says, I am on trial because of my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. He was actually imprisoned for preaching the message that not only is Jesus resurrected, but that everyone will be resurrected. So genuine Christian faith is not only about believing in the resurrection of Jesus. To be a true Christian is to believe that you will one day be resurrected from the dead. Is that what you believe this morning as you come on Easter Sunday? 1 Corinthians 15.20, our text again, Christ has been raised from the dead. And, And this is the reason for this Easter season. The crucified body of Christ was brought back to life it was not only reanimated, it was, it was transformed, it was glorified. But Easter also highlights the truth that Jesus' resurrection was, and this is the second part of our text, the first of a great harvest of all who died, or the first fruits of a great harvest. What's this image of first fruits? Probably none of us are farmers, or very few of us are farmers, but think of a wheat field especially when that wheat is harvested by hand, that very first sheaf of wheat that is gathered together, that's the first fruits. Or think of the first apple that is is picked off of a tree in an apple orchard. That sheaf of wheat is, is a picture of what the rest of the harvest will be. The taste of that first apple is a taste of what the rest of that apple harvest will be. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is that first fruits. It is that picture, it is that first taste, it is that vision of what God is going to do at the great harvest when He comes and He resurrects all humanity as part of His great harvest. Now, at this point, maybe hearing that, yes, all are going to be resurrected, you you may, may, some of you be thinking, is this universal salvation? Is everyone going to be saved? Not everyone who is resurrected will experience the kind of transformation, the kind of glorification that we see in the first fruits of Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to hear and not miss. Jesus did say that we will all be resurrected, 
But he also taught that there are two very different resurrections. John 5, Jesus says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. That's resurrection. But notice the two different resurrections. Those who have done good will come out, will be raised to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil will be raised, will be resurrected to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus taught that all will be resurrected, but there's a resurrection of life, and there's a resurrection of judgment. In fact, Jesus gives us a picture of what that harvest will look like. It'll be a great sorting of all of humanity, of everyone who has ever lived, including you and me. And Matthew 25, he says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, that's you and me, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? The sheep, we learn, are, are those who are saved, those who embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. We have come to that, that acknowledgement that, that we are dead in our sin, we are condemned and facing judgment in our sin, and we turn to Christ as the only true salvation. And, and those who are the sheep, they will experience, Jesus says, the resurrection of life. Who are the goats? The goats who are the ones who have not done that. The goats are the ones who have said, you know, I'm really more comfortable leading my own life, my own way, without God. Or if God can get in back of me and help me live life the way I want to live it, then that's all right. But if not, get out of the way. Those are the goats. Those are the ones who, who do not turn to Christ for salvation or have not yet turned to Christ for salvation. And those who Jesus sorts out as the goats... He says they will experience the resurrection of judgment. Let me ask you this morning, will Jesus look at you at one of his sheep or as a goat? How do you know? And are you sure as you sit here this morning? I mean, in light of this distinction between you either go to the resurrection of life or the resurrection of judgment, those are pretty important questions, don't you think? What do we see in the first fruits of Christ's resurrection that makes us want to be His sheep, that makes us want to experience the resurrection of life when the harvest comes. Well, when Jesus was resurrected, His body, again, it was not just reanimated, brought back to life. It was glorified. It was still a physical body, but now it was a physical body that could exist not just on earth, but in heaven. It was a body that was now in its glorified state perfectly suited for heavenly existence. It was a body that had been healed of all wounds, all sickness, all the effects of aging. It is a body that was brought back to its state of perfection that that we never experienced, frankly, in this earthly life. And the Bible tells us that that is the first fruits, that is the first taste, that the resurrection of the righteous transforms us transforms our human bodies in the same way that Jesus' body was transformed. Philippians 3.21, He will take our weak mortal bodies and He will change them into glorious bodies, resurrected bodies like His own. That's the resurrection of the righteous, the resurrection to life. The Apostle Paul gives us an illustration of this, and, and, and really what he uses is he uses that picture of a seed 
And if you've ever planted a garden or, or been involved in seeds in some other way, you know that you look at a seed and it looks small and bare and inconsequential. It even looks dead. But you plant it into the soil, and what happens? What comes out of that soil is fundamentally different. What grows out of that dirt is something entirely new, something glorious. That's the image Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is resurrected in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is what his sheep will know. When they are resurrected to the resurrection of life, they will receive glorified bodies that are incorruptible, that are glorified, that are powerful. That's what the sheep enjoy. That is what's promised to them. Samuel Davies, a, a preacher that God used powerfully during the 18th century and what was referred to as the first great awakening in our country, he described it like this. He says, our bodies will be substantially the same, but how different in qualities, in strength, in agility, in capacities for pleasure, in beauty. Then will the body be able to bear up under the exceeding weight of glory. The body will no longer be a clog or an encumbrance to the soul. Instead, it will be a proper instrument and assistant in all the exalted services and enjoyments of the heavenly state. If you belong to Christ, if you are one of His sheep, if, if you know Him as Savior and Lord, you have this promise that your soul will spend eternity with Him in heaven. But there's more. You also have the promise that Christ will rejoin your soul with your body, your now glorified body. He will resurrect your body. He will transform it into a spiritual body, a body that is capable of dwelling in heaven with Him and enjoying all eternity with Him. Your glorified body will experience no more pain. It will experience no more weariness or tiredness. It will experience no more sadness or grief. It will be cleansed from all the defiling, corrupting effects of sin. Everything that now limits or disables or hurts or shames you will be, moved, will be removed forever on this earth in your glorified body. That is what the sheep are promised. That is what the resurrection of life is all about. Now, as I've said already, we will all be resurrected, but there are two very different resurrections. Jesus is very clear that there is a resurrection to life, as I've just described it. He also teaches it is conditional. It is not the inalienable right of every human being. Again, John 5, he says, those who have done good are raised to the resurrection of life, but those who have done evil experience the resurrection of judgment. So, who are those who have done good? Who are those who have done evil? Well, first of all, we have to understand from all of Jesus' teaching that doing good is more than just about simply trying to live a good life, trying to be a good person in our own power and our own strength. Jesus blasts holes in the Pharisees' attempts to show that they were good people, good men. 
And by the way, Jesus also teaches in all of his teaching that, that, uh, that doing evil is more than just about whether you commit some crime like rape or murder or you are a terrorist. The Bible clearly teaches, I'm sad to say, humanly, that there's none of us who are good. Romans 3, there is no one good, there is not even one. And lest you think that that's an overgeneralization and you think, well, you know, I, I pay it forward and, and I do random acts of kindness and, and I give to charity and, and I volunteer and, and I serve, Jesus always takes us one level deeper. And he says, God looks at your heart. That's, that's really Isaiah 64. All our righteous deeds, all those good things we try and do are like filthy rags. Why? Because he looks beneath the surface and he sees the motives in our heart. And he sees often the pride that motivates those attempts to be good. He sees the jealousy, the competition, the selfishness. He sees all the ugliness in our hearts that drives so much of what we do. So all that evil in our hearts, all those evil motives, all the, the, our failures to do good where there's opportunity to do good, that all makes us unrighteous. That all puts us in the camp of the evil, as harsh a word as that is. In our unrighteousness, we are all naturally goats. That's where we all begin in this life. And the only resurrection that we deserve as goats, as unrighteous, is the resurrection of judgment that Jesus warned about. And the picture of the resurrection of judgment in the Bible Frankly, it takes our breath away. Revelation 20, John receives a vision and records what he sees. I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books." And anyone who was not found written in the, na- in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What are these books? Well, first of all, there is the book that records everything that you and I have ever done or ever will do. God sees everything we have ever done and ever will do, and it is all recorded, and it will all be replayed at the, at the great throne of judgment. It will remove all doubt about whether there's anyone who has done good. John goes on to give the only hope of escaping from this condemnation and this judgment. It's if your name is found written in the other book, the book of life. And if it is not, if your name is not written in the book of life, you will be thrown into the lake of fire of eternal punishment. The great Scottish preacher Thomas Boston described this in one of his sermons. The unrighteous, he writes, shall come forth from their graves with unspeakable horror and consternation. They shall be dragged forth as so many criminals out of a dungeon to be led to execution, crying to the mountains and to the rocks to fall on them and hide them before the face of the Lamb. Now, at this point, some of you may be thinking, this is totally offensive. This is totally inappropriate for a church Easter service. But consider this. If Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is inseparably linked to our resurrection, 
and we will either be resurrected to life or resurrected to judgment, isn't the most loving thing we can do is to explore how it is that we can obtain the resurrection to life and avoid the resurrection to judgment. The only way for us to obtain the resurrection to life to experience what the sheep experience, to to experience that glorified state is if we in our unrighteousness can be made righteous, if goats can be made sheep. Well, how can goats be made sheep? How can the unrighteous be made righteous? How can we know for sure that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we will escape the horror of the resurrection of judgment and experience the resurrection of life. We, we can't make ourselves righteous. There's not enough that we can do ever to be good people in the eyes of God. We can't try hard enough. We can't purify our motives on our own by ourselves. The only way is to embrace the only one who is ever righteous, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, and to put all our confidence in what He did and His righteousness in our place at the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made the one who knew no sin, the perfectly righteous one, to be sin for us, the unrighteous ones, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is the great exchange. This is the exchange that if you don't know it is available to you today. Jesus Christ, the perfectly righteous one, exchanges His perfect righteousness for your unrighteousness. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 1.3, God causes us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you put your faith in what Jesus has done at the cross, what He does is He covers over the unrighteousness of your sin with His robes of perfect righteousness. He exchanges His righteousness for your unrighteousness. That is available to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you are a sheep or a goat, you don't know what will happen after death, whether you will be raised to the resurrection of life or the resurrection of judgment, you don't know whether your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can know that this morning. There'll be people up at the front after the service who will talk with you, who will pray with you, who will make sure you understand that this great exchange, His righteousness for your unrighteousness, is available to you even this morning. God can, even today, this Easter Sunday, cause you to be born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, many of you here this morning, you've already done that. I've already done that. There was a point in my life which I had not. But many of us have come to that point where we've we've made that great exchange, where we've accepted that great exchange. We've put our faith in what Jesus Christ has done at the cross. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that describes you this morning, let me leave you with a reminder, really what I hope is an encouragement to you as you look forward to the resurrection of the righteous someday. And I want to do it in form of of, of a metaphor, of an image. The great preacher of the early church, Chrysostom, he was a a first century preacher in that very early developing New Testament church. He tells the story of an old house. This house is plain. This house is small. The, The one who lives, the man who lives in the house, he is cold in the winter. 
He is unbearably hot in the summer because of the way the house is. The windows of the house, Chrysostom writes, are too small and too dark. The house is, is, is insecure. He cannot keep anything valuable safe in the house because of its condition, and it's, and it's not secure. One day, the landlord of the house comes and speaks to the man who lives in the house. He calls him to come away. He says, I am about to pull down your old house, and I don't want you to be in it when I'm demolishing it so that you will not be hurt or injured. Come away with me and live in my palace while I am doing the demolition work. The man goes with the landlord and lives in his palace, and every stone of that old house is torn down. It is leveled to the ground. Even the very foundation of that house is dug up. A new house is built, Chrysostom writes. This house is constructed with costly slabs of marble. This, the windows of this house are pure and clear crystal. All the gates of this house are made of agates. All the borders of this house are made of precious stones. All the foundations of this house are made of chrysolite. All the roofs of this house are made of jasper. And now the master of the house speaks to the man, come back, I will show you the house which I have built for you. You understand this parable, Chrysostom says, this old house is your body. You know that this old house, this jar of clay is to be pulled down upon your death, that your spirit is to dwell in heaven for a little while there without a body, and how afterwards, through the wondrous truth of the resurrection of the body, you are to enter into a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, a mansion that is holy, that is incorruptible, that is undefiled, and that shall never decay. Is that what you're looking forward to this morning? Is that the hope that you have on this Resurrection Sunday? Do you hope in the resurrection of the righteous? Have you been born again? Again, in the words of Peter, even this morning, God can cause you to be born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you this morning as the sacrificed one, as the crucified one, as the one who made that great exchange, substituting yourself in our place, exchanging your righteousness for our unrighteousness. We worship you as the risen one, the resurrected one. We worship you as the returning one. We look forward to that great harvest, Lord God, when you will come and you will gather all the world and you will sort between the goats and the sheep. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that they have a clarity and a certainty and an assurance about whether they are one of your sheep or they are one of the goats. Lord, if there is anyone here who who does not yet know for sure that they are one of your sheep and that they look forward to the resurrection of the righteous. I pray even this morning that your words spoken through Peter would would speak to them, that even this morning they can know that God can cause them to be born again to this living hope we've been talking about 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Draw them by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who, like I, have come to that point in our lives already, lift our eyes off of the the distractions of our present life in this world. Lift our eyes to the coming resurrection to life that we will experience, to the glorified bodies, to the mansion in heaven, to the freedom, the release from death, from sin, from pain, from sorrow. We thank you and we worship you, Jesus, that you conquered sin. We thank you and we worship you, Jesus, that you conquered death. We thank you and you worship Jesus that you are coming again to take us home to be with you. Amen.